Thanks again for joining us for the Fourth State Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Marty Duran. And I am Bob Spatana. And he's the other host. I'm though. the other host. He forgot to say that. Uh, so thanks, thanks for joining us. We have several news and views stories to talk about today. Uh, but first, we need to get out of the way that the evil empire won another football game, vanquished the rebellion, uh, the Tennessee Titans. So congratulations to Bob Vader and the rest of the crew, the New England Patriots. It was a beautiful thing. And I said New England again. New England. And yes, they, they let the Titans get ahead, and then they crushed them. <laughs> kind of like last year's Super Bowl. Kind of like last year's Super Bowl. Get them, get ahead, and then it was... They're just, they're just toying with the rest of the NFL, right? It is, it, is, uh, it is very strange to have your team, which when I grew up, they were terrible, to be like the evil empire and crushing people in sight. Okay, but they wouldn't be the evil empire if they weren't evil, Bob. They would just be the dominant team, you know, like the Steelers in the 70s or the Yankees in the 20s or whatever, you know, when you were a kid. Uh, But the reason they're the evil empire is because they're evil. I mean, it's true. they, they, They got all the wins without the belovedness of, like, the 49ers or the Cowboys or America's team. They started out as beloved. It's really great. They were beloved underdogs, all American boy. We were all patriots, and then they saw. Oh, no, no, no. When were we all patriots? In 2002, when they beat the Rams, and they were the underdogs. And it was yeah, everybody north of Gettysburg was a was a, a Patriots fan. Yes, but it was still, it was, that was like, they were the, the underdogs, right? The okay. Scrappy underdogs who beat the best team, and no one thought they could win, and then they become everything that, you know, they... They're evil. They became evil. Right? They're arrogant. They are arrogant. arrogant. They, are they are arrogant. That's what they are. That's what they are, and it's bad. And they, they've they never said they're sorry for anything, even when they mess up, and it's like... So they're unrepentant. They're unrepentant. No, they're unrepentant. So if you, missed the, uh, if you missed the last episode, you can go back and hear Bob talk about Tom Brady and his Svengali and their foray into uh, get well fast and stay well fast and avoid a concussion juice and all this kind of stuff. And he's creepy. If and you watch that game on Sunday, he's the, no hat. He usually wears a hat. Guerrero, was he on the No, team? not Guerrero, but Brady was like oh, Brady. In, in wearing a cape. Wow. No hat. Look, saying crazy things. He usually yells on the sideline. So did he but have he his, looked, like, did he have a, like a patch on his jersey that represented him? His his video series or whatever. I don't know if he did, but he looked like he looked like he looked like I was on a Lord of the Rings movie with his oh my word. standing, the wind blowing in his hair, and awesome. it's like he looks all of a sudden like this religious figure or oh, you know Lord. Aragorn, son of Arathorn, coming out to, to claim the ring. It was it's so he just came down from Mount Olympus or something. <laughs> yes, he was creepy. Okay, was so uh, the big story last week that. Lasted for like 40 minutes and then uh, got pushed off in a maelstrom of other stuff uh, was that apparently every iPhone user, I haven't heard whether this was outside of iPhone use or not, but every every screenshot that I saw was an iPhone anyway. Uh, every smartphone user that was like subscribed to the EMS uh, emergency medical cert, emergency uh, alert system or whatever, uh, in Hawaii, got a message that said, there's an incoming missile, this is not a drill, take shelter immediately. And so, of course, the majority of the people didn't take shelter. They uploaded screenshots 
from their phones to Twitter to ask the Twitterverse whether this was real or not. Like me sitting in Nashville was going to be able to say, oh, absolutely, that's false. Nothing is about to happen. Um, and so for what, 38 minutes, I 38 think it minutes, was, yeah. from the time that the message went out until the time that finally there was clarification that there was no incoming missile. Kim Jong-un had not gone to sleep and fallen on the button. Uh, it was all uh, a big mistake. Somebody apparently, it wasn't even like a practical joke. It was, it was apparently an actual mistake where an employee hit the wrong button or something like that uh, and sent this out. So uh, I'm old enough to remember the Cold War, and I'm old enough to remember uh, we didn't do the in the in the hallway things like you go and sit you know sit down and cover your head and duck and cover and all that. We didn't do any of that that I remember. But there certainly was the constant thought of somebody could launch us into thermonuclear war. Uh, war Games came out when I was still fairly young. I think it was 1983. Is that right? So it came out when I was a young a young adult man. Uh, so what do you think? I mean, how, how do you how do you launch a code that says we're being attacked, and then you go eat a sandwich and we're not being attacked? Well, I th- the whole thing is like this is not even the top story from the weekend. There's yeah, all kinds of other things going on, <laughs> like nuclear holocaust. That's almost right. began. That's right. I, I, and then we didn't. I, I think it's. I mean, there's sort of some follow ups now, but I I thought like yeah, people were tweeting about it. I'm really disappointed. How do you? How does somebody not go get Matthew? What's his name? Ferris Bueller, Ferris and Ferris. and like interview him as if it's still the War Games thing. Yes, and Hawaii's right. involved. I mean, how did nobody do that? It just felt like War Games. <laughs> it really you did. Know, War Games plays a big part in Ready Player One. That okay, so, which is a big movie. Yeah, uh, I haven't seen it, but I've heard about it. Book about kind of eighties culture. So you know, but we yeah, we thought the whole. Uh, I think we all thought, you know, all the things we worry about terrorism. Mm-hmm. We worry about climate change, whatever you think about that. We worry about you know economic collapse. Nobody worries about nuclear war these days. We worry about North Korea. But then all of a sudden, we were popped in yeah. the middle of the Cold War, and what people did was look on Twitter and to see if it to see if it was, it was real. real. That was the thing. Any, anybody shooting any video on top of Mount Kaloa or whatever yeah. uh, of a missile coming in? Anybody <laughs> see a plume? I mean, you know. Yes. So I did read one guy on Twitter who uh, I think he's a pastor and his wife was visiting Hawaii for some type oh, yeah, of thing. Yeah. And, and he basically said, you know, she just went up on a rise and waited for it to come in because what do you do? You yeah. know, nobody knew where the storm shelters were. We had parents apparently putting their kids in sewers to protect them from the, the incoming missile that didn't yeah. didn't come in. So yeah. uh, big deal. Apparently Hawaii is not going to retrain everybody on how to not push the button. And uh, probably going to be going through some shelter drills and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so anyway, that was odd. But, you know, it really does make you think. My first thought when I saw it was, uh, this can't be real. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, that's the worst thinking to have about something like that. Because if it ever is real and you're sitting there thinking this can't be real, you're going to be the first one vaporized when the thing hits yes. the ground. Because you're sitting there still checking Facebook or Twitter instead of actually going for cover. Um so that was the that was the big deal that really didn't stay in the top of the news cycle very long, uh, because there's so much other stuff going on uh, in the world. Um, you you brought up a story about uh, some deranged California parents. What's that thing all about? So so there was a um, in California. There was a young girl, apparently seventeen uh, year old. Escaped from her house, came to the police, and said, 
my parents are holding 13 of us captive. So they show up, and there are these 13 kids, ages 2 to 29. Just 29? To 29, shackled to their beds. Oh, my word. Starving. The parents are homeschooling, sort of maybe the quiverful. There's a Christian Pentecostal angle to this. Right. Uh, it hasn't really been getting uh, coverage, but there were... Um, What's in GetReligion.org? GetReligion.org. It's getting some, but I think that the religion and ABC angle, News. Yeah, but it's getting coverage, but I think the religion angle, uh, they were kind of this good Christian family, and they all dressed... It's a little weird. They all had, like, matching clothes. Dude, that ain't a little weird. <laughs> it's very weird. Uh, they went to Disney World and said Thing 1 and Thing 2 and Thing 3 to Thing 13, but it's kind of a... Uh, Sorry for those of you who are listening. I uh, I tried to pull up the story, and um, stupid autoplay has an ad going. So okay. Continue. I mean, it is interesting. You could have, and, and it's getting a lot of play. I, it's interesting. I mean, maybe it's just a, a commentary in our culture that you could have a family live in a house and chain their thirteen kids down, and no one would notice. Yeah. Um, but they're uh, it's. You know, nobody asked for help, no reaction. It's a very strange story. Um, it's getting all kinds of play. I think it's been covered. I think, you know, there. Are, what's interesting is there are all kinds of very strange religious groups with very strange ideas right. that can just be sitting right next to you, and you'd never know about it. And maybe their ideas are sort of on the fringe, but kind of within normal Christianity, and then all of a sudden you can go off the fringe you know, my hometown had a, uh, one of the first major stories I covered was a group in my hometown called The Body, which one of my neighbors mm-hmm. joined, and they felt like they were homeschoolers, and they had this Christian teacher who said you shouldn't go to the doctors, yeah. and pretty soon they were having, uh, you know, personal revelations from God that said they shouldn't feed their kids, and their kids would be, you know, so one of the kids dies, Wow. another one dies, and the kids are going to be resurrected, so they went off the reservation. Yeah. It's probably inappropriate to say, but they kind of went off way out of bounds very easily, mm-hmm. and they were looked like normal people from the outside. Wow, that's and you crazy. just don't know. So, I mean, how? I mean, I'm sure at some point they're going to uh, they're going to say, but how do the neighbors not? Did they have all these kids at home? I mean, there's like yeah, how, how many kids did you say? Thirteen, thirteen kids, and apparently they they had some interactions. The kids didn't say anything, and they had interactions like they. Let's have Christmas decorations up a long time outside. Mm-hmm. And they were just like, do you need some help? But they didn't know anyone. They were kind of a self-contained world. Um, wow. So, um, I mean, how do you... So you think they had the kids at home? Like yes, they birthed yes. the kids at home? I don't know if they birthed the kids at home, but they've had these kids and, and Okay, if you're a home. neighbor and, you know, every nine months somebody is going to the hospital and coming home in a car seat and they never come outside. Yeah. Sounds like they moved around. Wow. But yeah, it's uh, he's uh, he's uh, like a computer programmer, so you think. And look, they look their hair kind of kind of. Yeah, like he haircuts. looks like the little Dutch boy that stuck his little finger in the dye. But it's uh, I think this is uh, just maybe it's just this is the way that we are. We don't know our neighbors, and uh, I think we don't know enough about the religion around us. There was just. There's interesting religion all around. But isn't that I don't I, I don't think this falls yes. into the category of interesting religion. Well, I think this I falls say, into the category of nuts. No, there's, there's nutty abusive religion all around us. And so didn't uh, 
So from what I could tell, this house was in a neighborhood of sorts. Yeah, it looks like it's in a nice neighborhood. Uh, Elizabeth Smart was kidnapped and kept in a shed yes. behind someone's house. Now, I don't remember that that was in a neighborhood per se, but yeah. I don't think it was like uh, the um, Ted Kaczynski, where it was like way off, miles from anything, yes, yes, completely yeah. isolated. It seems like it was near... Uh, where people lived and where people were. And yet she was there for what, 15 years or something like that, Mm -hmm. uh, in this shed completely isolated. So, uh, I think you do make a point that when you don't know people, you don't see these things, but I think we need to be realistic too. How many friends, how many barbecues in the community are the parents of 13 kids who are chained to their beds going to actually come They're not going to go out. They're not going to go out either. So I think yeah. there's a – I am reminded, though, yesterday, I think this was somewhere in Michigan, the um, the police department has developed a training video that they're showing to, like, the electrical workers and the yeah, sanitation yeah. workers and people like that to train them to look for the signs of human trafficking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So very simple things like locks on doors that appear to be not needed, um, people, you know, kids being kind of manhandled away from windows and out of sight and that kind of thing to be alert for those kinds of things. So I think it, it, it really does stand to reason that we all should be alert for those kinds of things. We should be alert for an enormous house and a woman, you know, making dresses that are all the same color, uh, but never seen any kids that would ever wear them, you know, those kinds of things and not be afraid to strike up a conversation or ask a question, or even if it gets too weird, you know, call the authorities and say, I, I yeah. don't know for sure, but there's some, there seems to be something weird going on across the street yeah. from my house. Yeah, there's, there's a whole, um, there's a really, and I'm going to say the word interesting again, um, there's a lot of controversy over the homeschooling movement, the Christian homeschooling movement, the Christian homeschooling, have a lot of kids movement, mm-hmm. um, where there are lots of, you know, the Duggar movement. These right. are, this is the other side of the Duggar movement, and the Duggar movement had its own, or Kate and John and eight, whatever they were. Uh, these are, there are lots of folks in that movement who are good folks. Yeah, but those were two different. You're talking about two different groups now. You're, but, but the Duggars are the Quiverful. Yeah, they're Quiverful. Uh, John and Kate were not. Were they, were they evangelical? No, no, no. 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 She, they, 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 they didn't even, I don't really think they claimed to be, okay, they may have wrong. claimed to be believers, yes. but there wasn't actually anything in their lifestyle that indicated yes. That they were believers, but they had they had all those kids at one whack. Yeah. Uh, she got pregnant. Okay, I think yeah. the fertility thing. Yeah, that's right. And she wound up with eight kids at the same time. So that was a little bit of a, it's a different, different deal. Yeah, yeah. This is a like the kind this of, is the intentional. I'm going to have kids until I can't have any more. Yes, kind of yes. It. That's so, more the quiverful based yeah. on the version. And they all just the same. And you can see why they all just the same because well, it was cheaper to buy. Cheaper to buy that <laughs> giant yeah. bolt of cough. So I mean, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be. I'm not trying to mock anybody no, when no, I say no, no. this, it's a, but it is. I mean, if your if your goal is to have as many kids as you can, then it becomes cheaper to dress them yes, similarly yes. because you end up making a lot of your own clothes. You have a lot of the same material. So I'm not being negative. It's just the reality yeah, of it. And I think it's the way you can ask. Like people ask about these movements when people are skeptical of them. I think they think of a case like this. Yeah. What if? Well, they always do. Yeah. They don't think about my friend Matt, who's a professor at a major university yes, yeah. who happens to be Catholic 
and believes that he should have a large family. Yeah. And so he's got, you know, for his family, he has like a 12 passenger van. Yeah. And, you know, or my other friend who has a couple of biological kids and three or four adopted kids, and they still feel that they should foster even more children. And so they have a large vehicle in anticipation that God's going to bring them other kids that are in troubled situations. But Quiverful, the actual Quiverful movement is a distinct subcategory of the big family of American Christian, you know, American Christianity. And that, and you can have a lot of kids. You can even feel like that you're never supposed to use birth control and still not be inside the Quiverful movement because it is a very specific sliver of things. So uh, not everybody who has seven or eight kids is Quiverful. Uh, not everybody who has seven or eight kids dresses them all the same. So, I, you know, there's and no... Not Quiverful is kind of on the extreme outskirts of... Yeah, I mean, they 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 see the Psalms. says, happy is the man whose quiver's full of yes. them talking about kids. Yes. And so they believe that they, won't, they should have a large family. So there is some differences and there's some nuance. And so that needs to be kept in mind. Um, but Bob's point, I think, is that sometimes... In some of those groups, uh, it does go from what we would consider, if not mainstream, it's the it's a, a little edgy or a little different. And then some of these folks just go completely off the rails, which is, of course, true with almost any movement. You have people yes. who go off the rails. Um, but these folks had their kids chained to the bed, and I would say yeah. they left the rails, the track, the the track bed, the <laughs> everything. Yes. They were but, way but out. The, little, the kid, the kid. A kid got out. Right. It's kind of a heroic thing, but here's a kid get out, and the neighbors and the kids are getting taken care of, and these parents are being stopped from doing something right. terrible. This is like those, the thing in Cleveland where the guy was holding women captive. Yeah, I remember that. I mean, this is a, it's a terrible story. I don't want to say it's good news, but like, thank, thank God for this girl, seventeen yeah. year old, you know, Escaping. breaks out. Yeah. And for the police who believe that, because you could be, you know, you could yeah. Be, and there's no, there's no telling what kind yeah. of. Stockholm syndrome or whatever they put on those kids having having had them in captivity yeah. for so long, how much brainwashing had been done yes, and how, yeah, yeah. So how evil they'd they, been told they were and yes. there's there's just no telling. Yeah. Um so news out of uh Allentown, Pennsylvania. Jury selected a trial for Allentown Mayor Ed Polowski. Opening statements begin Monday. A jury of seven men and five women was, was selected Tuesday to decide whether Mayor Ed Pawlowski and co-defendant Scott Allenson are guilty of corruption charges. Now, you may be asking, dear listener, why we are bringing up an obscure news story about Allentown, Pennsylvania, which apparently is not connected in any way to any national news story. Well, there's a very good reason for that. It's because one of these guys is a friend of Bob's. Yeah, and it's it's a very it's been weird to watch when watches the the FBI has been investigating Ed for a couple of years. So I know Ed because we were in a band together at church and a Bible study, and he mm-hmm. and his friend Lisa have been friends forever. So you know I and we were and he was running for a Senate a couple of years ago. What's the name of your band? The Jailbirds. <laughs> Paul and Silas in prison. Was that the name <laughs> Paul and Silas. There is there is straight arrow people as you would know. <laughs> so you know you're a reporter. You read this, you think, oh, there's a crook. We yeah. know lots of crooked politicians. Yeah. And so now I'm on the, the side of going, hey, wait, that's my friend. Yeah. And uh, Welcome to the rest of us, <laughs> Bob. So we do this as reporters. You, uh, you investigate things. You hear allegations. 
you got a corruption scandal. It's very serious allegations. Um, in this case, it looks like his uh, campaign manager, best friend, has already pled guilty to a lot of corruption charges okay. and seems to be the mastermind of it. Right. There's, but they he wore a wire, and there's times where Ed is saying, "Don't do this. Look, we got we we're not going to break the law. Yeah. We need to be straight as arrow." Other times when they're pressing for campaign contributions, there's nothing in the any of this corruption charges that's like he was personally uh, getting wealth from this. Right. It was all for campaign contributions. But it's it's still interesting to be if you're a reporter like put on a report at, right. you hear a lawsuit filed, you see charges, you always say alleged mm-hmm. because you don't know until even though it looks like so they're found guilty they're in found a court of law. In the court of law and even, you know, someone can be convicted, not convicted and be guilty. Yeah. But in this case, uh, you know, the corrupt mayor, the allegedly corrupt mayor in the headline is also in the church band. Yeah. And at the Bible study. Well, know. I mean, still? Is he still, still in the band? Yeah, no, he's still really active in his church. Plays okay. drums in his church. Wow. You know, in Allentown. Okay. Um, I don't think he's, he's not known as sort of a, um, he's a Democrat, so he, he doesn't have like the... God is not like prominent sure. in his campaign. Thing. Sure, that's not his campaign. But shtick. he's a shtick. But they, you know, Allentown's gotten a lot better under him. But it's weird. It's very strange to be on the outside mm-hmm. saying, "Oh, there are these allegations. Are they true?" So, anytime you see uh, allegations in the newspaper, so let's uh, talk about this yes, word yes, alleged. Yes, alleged. Yeah, alleged uh, is a good word because here's here's it's an important word. Uh, it's a word that I think really doesn't get used enough. But uh, here's a way that I've seen the word alleged. Some people say alleged used. So there's security camera video of a person coming in with a 45 and they rob the store, uh, fire off a couple of rounds, you know, hopefully miss the attendant that's there, grab a bag of money and a you know, sack of potato chips and run out the door. And the headline or the article will say, uh, the store was allegedly robbed by, (laughs) okay, the store was allegedly robbed at 12.01 a.m. Okay, the store wasn't allegedly robbed. The store was robbed. The the alleged part comes up when they have a, uh, a person that they have arrested for this crime, the suspect. Yes. So, Bob... Allegedly robbed the store. Yes, yes, that's better you say. Okay, the store wasn't, but I've seen this, and I've yeah. seen it on more than one occasion. Uh, the store was allegedly robbed by so and so. Well, the store wasn't allegedly robbed. The store was robbed. Bob allegedly, Bob, who is now in custody, allegedly robbed the store. Uh, now, I'm not talking about Bob's Montana, but you know, if I the, did not rob any if the store. handcuffs fit, brother, you're just going to have to wear them. But I think you know, even if you got video, there's all kinds of um, do we know that video came from that store? You know, do we know? But well, I think if, if the, the whole store, if the whole entire article yes. is written about that particular yes. video, yeah, then you have a lot worse rob- problems. Yes. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, the story, the store gets robbed, but the legend is always: is this the right? Do they have the right person? Yes. Do the because um, you know there is a um, there's a great movie that I don't think people called the paper. The post is getting the you know mm-hmm. movie other it's it's this is a '90s era movie. Michael Keaton's in it, Glenn Close. I remember that. Robin I Duvall. remember the movie. I, I just saw some clips from it. There's a there's a they have this meeting. 
Um, where they're talking about some kids got arrested for allegedly murdering someone. Okay. And the conceit in the movie is that they didn't do it. Somebody else, it's a mob, right. mob, uh, mob hit. hit, and these kids are framed for it. So, um, you know, they, uh, these kids are arrested, and they're like, we're going to get the purple, we're going to get pictures of them, we're going to say these are the kids who did it. Yeah. And he's saying, no, we can't say that because we don't know. And the police are saying that maybe this is, this also could have been a mob hit. Mm-hmm. So, in the in the the film for dramatic effect, they play up the conflict, you know, uh, of uh, should we say these are alleged kids, or should we, you know, put pictures of these kids up there and and say that they are the ones who did things. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's there's always a debate of like, do we know how sure are we? Uh, but I think having watched this one, it makes me think, oh, when we say someone some did this, there is. Um, there's some, there could be some doubt in there where sometimes we're so sure our reporting that we don't have enough humility. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's, let's turn this just a second yes. because um, we see, you know, every, every week in the news, if not every day, somebody's getting arrested for something. Yeah. Somebody's going to jail for something. Somebody's accused of something. There's allegations about something. Uh, you know, their ongoing investigations that last months and months and months. Yes, yes. But it's very rare for most of us who are, you know, not in an organized crime family to to see the name of a friend yes. in a headline who's been arrested based on certain evidence. How does how does that feel? It's very strange. I, I think this is when I think Ed I still have in my mind guy I played drums with, he and Lisa sitting on the couch at Bible study, hanging out, mm-hmm. I think is my friend Ed, yeah. you know, I don't think of him as, and he said a whole, he moved away, sure. moved to Allentown from Chicago, uh, but we still keep in touch, I, I still think it's like, that's my friend Ed, and it does make you think, I do often talk to people where I know someone is crooked, right, mm-hmm. they've done something wrong, I got in black and white, and I talk to a friend or supporter of them, and the supporter's like, no. That's, it's even in churches all the time. That's yeah. my pastor. Yeah. My pastor never could have done that. Right. My pastor could have not. Well, they did. <laughs> Is there psychology involved, do you think, where the person feels like that uh, they have supported someone who turned out to be crooked, so it's going to make them look bad? Yeah, I think you're too far in. Sometimes you can be too far in and that you this is your friend. Or sometimes you stand by the people you love. You believe them yeah. more than the people... You don't know the reporter. You don't know the, the police, demon media. Demon, the media, the fake news media. If you have, uh, if you hear something bad about a friend of yours, who do you trust? Yeah, the friend that you yeah. know, you spend time with, or the friend that you, the uh, rumor monger, the rumor monger. Yeah. So yeah. I, I want the in this case the truth to come out. You know, it's got to go to trial. Right. Someone will judge whether what he did or allegedly, allegedly did, did or his conduct in office. Someone will judge. Whether his conduct in office was appropriate or not appropriate, whether it was in the bounds of... Because politics is... Because yeah. we all know politics is a messy business. You're trying to raise money for a campaign. Uh, I'm sure no one gives money to a political campaign without some kind of ulterior motive. You don't just say... No, oh, a, lot of people, to, a lot of people yeah. give money to a political campaign without an ulterior motive. Yes. But very few people give thousands and thousands, thousands and thousands of dollars... Of dollars with a quid pro quo yeah. that, okay, I'll donate to your campaign, 
if you sign off on this lot that yes, I want to buy, in order, yeah. But you 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 want to have relation? You I think you sign you give money to that thinking you'll have a good relationship with that mayor that their yeah. mayor's policies will be good. Yeah. That that you know. But there, I mean, there's a yes, long there's a and long, glorious yes, history of the United yes. States of America and probably the world so, of people been, buying yes. of influence peddling. Yes, yes. And so. Oh, I no, guess that's the job for the jury. I mean, they have yeah. to determine in this particular case, not what's happened in Chicago, yeah. not what's happened in Los Angeles, not what's happened in New York or Washington, D.C. or anywhere else. But in this particular case, did this particular mayor do what he's guilty or do what he's charged with yeah. regardless of what any other mayor has ever done yes, yes. Uh, in the history of the world? So it does It does, um, It does. does make it a little difficult, I think. It does. And that the um, Supreme Court... Last year, 2016, it's two years ago now, did vacate the conviction. I think it's Terry McCullough. It's a, it's a, it's a former mayor out east who was convicted on corruption charges. Right. And then the Supreme Court, uh, because the Obama administration had been very aggressive in corruption. And there's this, the an issue was, what is the kind of the normal part of mm-hmm. The relationship building of politics mm-hmm. and what is the corrupt I'm misusing the office for my benefit right and so the Supreme Court ruled that the Obama administration had changed the rules in such a way that normal political behavior was criminalized okay so there's that too that the, the, the Justice Department has been very aggressive in this mm-hmm. and the Supreme Court in one case uh, so they were too aggressive. So we'll see. Okay. But, but it's just true. He he could be guilty. Yeah. He could still be guilty in my friend. Right. Which is sure. You know. Then there's a difference. You, yeah. you don't. You don't. Uh, you don't have walk to. Away you don't have your, to jettison people. They don't jettison they people up. because they yeah. because they screwed up. So. Uh, so the last thing about today um, is an article that you actually wrote uh, at the end of last year, based on some research uh, that was done. And uh, the headline is, Support of Israel Wanes Among Younger Evangelicals. And so, uh, not not in the too uh, distant past, an announcement was made, which wasn't like an earth-shattering announcement in and of itself, but what it portended could be earth-shattering, and that mm-hmm. was the, the move of the United States Embassy, potentially from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Yeah. And for a tons of reasons, that, that was a news story. Uh, that didn't fall out of the news cycle in in three hours, yeah. uh, and that one will be updated probably pretty consistently because uh, it was left open ended. The initial yeah. impact was that hey, this is going to happen. You know, they're, they're packing boxes already uh, at the embassy, but it's more open ended. And I think in the end result, it really ended up not being that much different than what yeah. had been done in the past. That being said. It did generate a lot of continued discussion uh, about the relationship between the United States and Israel, the relationship between, uh, and in my circles, the United the relationship between United States believers and Palestinian believers, uh, who are not only a minority, they're a shrinking minority yeah. in, in their own territories. Um, so I thought that this, this survey was pretty timely. Uh, this is among Americans with evangelical beliefs. Overall, what is your perception of the country of Israel today? And uh, this, I guess, is broken out into younger evangelicals. Yeah. <clears throat> Very positive, 23%. Positive, 27%. So that's a total of 50. 50% yeah. is either positive or very positive. Another 17% uh, 
somewhat positive. So that's 67% altogether. Yeah. Then somewhat negative, negative and very negative is only a total of 9%. But the not sure portion was 24%. So um, I, I don't see the uh, prior research uh, that was done specifically related to younger mm-hmm. evangelicals. Um, but the not sure is even more intriguing to me than the 9% yeah. negative. I would almost think without any evidence in front of me, I would almost think that the 9% negative, which is somewhat negative and very negative uh, in descending order would be true amongst evangelicals as a whole, because mm-hmm. there is a small group yeah, of evangelicals yeah. that aren't, you know, gung ho pro Israel. Uh, but I don't really know that in evangelical evangelicalism writ large that you'd have 24% of people that would say, no, I don't really know how I feel about Israel today. Yeah, there's a, there's a really interesting, <laughs> um, so, so we work, I work closely with the life we research folks, write stories about them, their colleagues. Yes. I should make that clear. Uh, <laughs> so I usually the first pass on their studies, but a couple of things in this story are really interesting. So like you and I were a little bit older. Yeah. We have probably, we've been in the Protestant circles in the post rebirth of Israel. Mm-hmm. And uh, so a couple of things in this survey, one that's very clear, people feel like it, God orchestrated the rebirth of Israel. Right. And that there's also very strong support for the idea that people, that Jewish people should have Israel because God gave it to them. Right. Okay. But there is, and, and there was for a long time kind of lockstep. You got, you, so in this group, uh, so three quarters of the older evangelicals, there were 65 and over, three quarters of people said, yes, we, we support the existence, security, and prosperity of Israel. Okay. So among 18 to 34 year olds, that drops to 58%. Okay. There's a whole lot more not sures. Yeah. And, and of the young, these young evangelicals. And we're using this, I should say that uh, this is. We, when, when people survey things when they talk about evangelicals, they can say, are you an evangelical or not? They can look at your church and decide if you're an evangelical. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a different version, which is about evangelical beliefs. So we ask you right. four questions about the Bible, uh, Jesus, salvation, and evangelism. And if you all strongly agree with them, that you are considered an evangelical by belief. By belief, yes. So this is a very strong evangelical. Whether you would self-identify, self-identify as such. But this is a very strong, and these folks don't, so forty percent of the younger ones are they have no strong views on Israel. Like that's the one that yeah. And there's among younger evangelicals, there's a lot of we don't know. So there's questions about should you sign peace deals? They don't know. Yeah. But there's not the kind of so this is not just a theology a theological issue. It, it'd be one thing to say, do you believe that modern Israel is God's chosen people in the same way that ancient Israel yes, was? Yes. That'd be a theological question. But to say do you think that Israel should sign a peace treaty with the Palestinians, for instance? Yeah. Um, that's not really a theological question. That's really a political, uh, a, you know, demographic some kind of question in mm-hmm. there. That you don't, I mean, you can have an opinion on that and never have opened a Bible in your life. Yes. So it's, it's, uh, it's exceedingly strange to me that you'd have a, a large group of young adults that, yeah, they're defined by their religious beliefs for the purposes of this survey, but a huge portion of them wouldn't have political 
opinions. Oh, surely have political opinions. We're just we are asking like the relationship. So so we asked one of the questions: if if do Jewish people have a biblical right to Israel, or do they? So about forty one percent of these of folks said that that you have the. I think it's younger. No, this is forty one percent of everyone says they have a biblical right to Israel, but they got to share. So there is a right. there is a uh, among evangelicals. There's a lot of nuance to okay. the. There are people who say I'm with Israel, right or wrong. Right. There's a kind of a bigger people like I'm with Israel, but would like to see them do right. Or want them to do the right thing. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, so they, there's a feeling like you got to do right by the Palestinians. So that the God's promise to, in their theology, that God's promise to Israel, mm-hmm. he would say being very strongly in, comes with some strings attached. Yeah. It's not a car blank to do what you want. You have to take, you know, Palestinian, they're worried about Palestinian Christians. Yeah. Uh, they definitely predominantly see that God made, that God promised this land to folks. Right. But younger folks are a lot more ambivalent about what the, what the, you know, that I think it's like, is any of this because the, uh, the emphasis in preaching has changed over the last 30 or so years. Um, I was in a conversation with a um, podcaster yesterday, I think it was, and we were talking about, you know, late great planet Earth. I remember seeing the commercials yeah. Oh, yeah. on Channel 17 after, yeah. after oh, yeah. school, yeah. you know, for late great left planet Earth. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, this was like way oh, before yeah. Left Behind. I love uh, This was... You know, this was Russia and Gog and Magog, yes, and yes. you know Russia's going to invade Israel and all this kind of stuff. And that was, I mean, you were you're old enough to remember those oh, days. Yeah. That I, was I that was, you know, that was regularly addressed in uh, in sermons. Mm-hmm. You had people that would travel America, and their their preaching content was yes. the last days, Russia in the last days, Israel in the last days. Now that the theme, that particular theme, has waned. Yes. So we've gone from, you know, people making movies like A Thief in the Night and the Distant mm-hmm. Thunder, which were the precursors to yes. the Left Behind series. I mean, in, in fairness to Tim LaHaye and uh, Jerry Jenkins, they were they were merely uh, fictionalizing what other people had fictionalized and did it in an 11-volume set or whatever it was. And were able to ride the crest of the wave that they created because there wasn't any real competition in that space at the time because it had, it had dropped off. Yeah. Um, and so now, you know, it kind of came back and now I think it's kind of dropped off again. But in my, when I was a kid in the seventies and early eighties, before I got married, everything it seemed like was about the return of Christ. Mm-hmm. Then it kind of slowed a little bit. Then it picked up again with the left behind thing. And now it slowed down again. But I really think that a lot of the people, a lot of the young adults now, who were my age, who are who are now the age I was in the set, late seventies mm-hmm. and early eighties, didn't buy into the left behind picture yeah. in the same way that my generation did with the Thief in the Night. So it didn't. I mean, is that one of the reasons? I, if I don't know the demographics of the Left Behind readers, but I would almost I would be willing to stake your reputation on that there was a heavy majority of the Left Behind demographic that was just younger than me and older. Could be, could be, and it wasn't the younger 
Now, I've never seen it broken out. Yeah. I could be yeah. completely and they're mostly wrong. women readers and men readers. That is, so we but these things are all today. connected. Yeah, well, nobody's so talking about you know, how, how brilliant Left Behind. Is. Well, I don't oh, know. I mean, it's I, a brilliant I've, piece of work. I've read the covers. That's all yes, I've ever read no, of any of them. I haven't read them. So, but the point, yes, yes, the point no, being, none of these things are in a vacuum. No, no, no. So. If younger evangelicals, let's just say millennial, because yeah. it's probably what the, the demographic, if millennials didn't buy into the whole left behind thing, and the focus of preaching isn't really on mm-hmm. end times as much as it was, then it stands to reason that they're not going to be as connected to this particular issue, because Israel is all about the end times yes. theology. So, so there, there's a couple things. I think there is... There still is a lot of interest in end theology. There are authors who still sell a lot of books based on that. Uh, I don't want to call them out by it. We know. Well, I mean, Joel Rosenberg is one. John Hagee writes all kinds of books about this. These, kind of these stuff. are just factual statements. These are statements. Um, and there's a long history of this. There's a great book we'll call When Time Shall Be No More uh, by University of Wisconsin Madison. Uh, professor about the history of end times so theology. Uh, Jesus is coming Jesus was in the 1800s, coming. but W. Yes, B. Blackstone. You know, so. I mean, there you know, it's been it's been around a yeah, while. Yeah, it's been around, and there are still preaching, you know, conferences. But on here's the difference, I but yes, think, yes, between even Rosenberg yeah. and Hagen. These guys have a uh, some of those have a strong pocket of influence in believers. Mm-hmm. Yes, late great planet Earth was a was national yes, phenomenon. Yes, yes. It's, just not, it's not a huge. It wasn't just, um, of course. Religion was a bigger influence in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. It could be argued. Uh, and so when something when something took off like that, it could very easily get outside of church life. Yes. Uh, and I'm sure Left Behind did as well. But I don't see um, the current crop of popular end times authors mm-hmm. like Joel Rosenberg and some others have the outside of their niche influence that Lake Great Planet Earth seems to have and that whole mindset yeah, it's not as, as big and there is I think the so even in the 17s think about the 1970s the Palestinian it was in a Palestinian the PLO the PLO yeah the terrorist organization right. you know right. I, now we have a, a a functional or not functional but a a well, government it's a, it's, of the it's West a dysfunctional Bank. government but it is the, the Palestinian Bank. authority the idea of a, so, so this is a, here's an interesting thing so we ask, you know, should there be a peace treaty mm-hmm. with, with the West Bank having a government for the Palestinians? Twenty-one percent of evangelicals say yes. All, all evangelicals or young evangelical believers. Okay. Thirty-one. This is all. Thirty-one percent say no. Forty-six percent aren't sure. So you only have a third who are opposed to a peace treaty. Right. You probably have more people who know people from Palestine. You have less of the because because we have a cultural distance. Our connected world. It's a different racial mix. So, of uh, evangelical believers, oh, because I'm doing something else on this, 96% of those 65 and over are white. Okay. Only 53% of those 35 and younger are white. So, you have a multiracial, different group of people. So, and you black, have all, black, all evangelical, white, black, black evangelical, black Christians with evangelical beliefs, beliefs are not, have a Christians, different, yeah. different Hispanic view. Christians. Yeah. These are not their issues. Yeah. So, uh, and then you have Hispanic Christians who come from other countries. So there's a whole. Um, I think it's just changing. Like the idea that evangelicals are smack behind Israel because they want the end of the world to come and are trying to usher it in as quickly yeah. as possible is lacking a lot of nuance. And I've that, heard. I've heard people say, 
I long for the return of Christ. I pray for the return of Christ. I wish, you know, Jesus would come back tomorrow. Yeah. I've heard those kinds of comments. I've never heard a single person say that if we could do X, Y, Z, yes. we could usher in the end of the world. I've never heard anybody. I mean, yes. and for if you're listening and you're not a believer, um, I've been... I've been a Christian since I was 18. I'm now 54. I've been in church since I was three years old. I've heard so many sermons on the return of Christ, I can't count them all. I've heard sermons on Russia invading Israel and bringing, you know, the Battle of Armageddon. I've never heard a single soul, preacher or lay person, say, well, if we could do X, Y, Z, we could inaugurate the end of the world. I've I've just never heard that. And I think some people, I'm not saying nobody's ever said it. But I do think that there's a kind of a projection sometimes from those that are outside of this consistent conversation. And frankly, some people who aren't as uh, well well understood in this particular branch of theology and how long it's been around and the breadth of it. Now, there's some people who get it, but a lot of guys, you know, it's it's like they took one smell and it's like, I got this figured out. This is Limburger cheese and I'll never forget this. Um, And so then it becomes... Well, the reason that they support Israel is because mm-hmm. they're trying to, you know, inaugurate yeah. the end of time. Well, and that's simply, I mean, that's really a reach. I, I think the other thing is that the 48, uh, so people have been, so really people have forgotten about uh, Israel in a lot of ways. Israel was just another country mm-hmm. at the turn of the century. You had, you had Zionists who said, no, we should go back to mm-hmm. Zionists. You had the, um, the Darby sort of, uh, pre-millennialists, dispensationalists saying there's going to be a return of Israel. But in general, Christians around the, the world were not thinking about Israel. That's they correct. Were not. So in 48, all of a sudden Israel uh, is a nation, mm-hmm. as, a, as a, is a physical nation, in the, and reborn. Mm-hmm. That changes the whole conversation. Well, yeah. Well, I'm sure there were yeah. some believers who were familiar with the Zionist movement, yes. which had been around since yes, the late yeah, no, 1800s. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it... But as a whole, yeah. the idea of Israel becoming a geopolitical Israel entity at the end was not a thing. And that, that God wanted them to become a geopolitical entity was probably not high on that. They, yeah. There was a lot of supersessions in that that this idea of the church had replaced well, Israel. Yeah, it wasn't even that long since World War II. Was yeah. uh, it should also be noted that uh, Joel Rosenberg, who we mentioned in that yes. conversation, helped to underwrite this yes. survey. He's, he's a sponsor um, of it. So, so, or underwriter. Um, so just be aware of that. And this, these three stories, uh, the Israel uh, support, the 13 siblings, and uh, the Allentown Mayor Ed Pawlowski situation uh, will be linked in the, uh, in the episode notes. And I hope that you'll enjoy that as you look around. Uh, thanks again for joining us on The Fourth Estate. Uh, I'm Marty Duran. I'm Bob Santana. And uh, we'll see you next time. Hey, don't forget to follow us on Twitter if you can. Uh, it's you now Bob's. Lat- My name's fairly easy. It's M A R T Y D U R E N. Bob's is a little more difficult. The, the Bob part is pretty easy. Uh, Smetana is S M I E T A N A. Both of our Twitter accounts are just our at first name last name yeah. no underscores or anything. And then the podcast also has uh, its own Twitter account, and it's at T four E podcast as in the fourth estate at t4e podcast and uh when the tweets go out with the links if you would be gracious to give us a retweet every now and then that would be awesome 
help expand our reach, encourage people to follow. We don't have a Facebook page yet. Probably will at some point. Uh, we'll let you know when that Do we happens. have a theme song? Uh, we have theme music, but not a theme song. We need some theme music. And we're, we have theme music. We don't have a theme song. Uh, you're not going to sing anything. I have songs. I figured that you did, but we're not going to sing. We're not going to sing any of your we're songs. Sing, we're take your shoes off, Moses. We're, we're, we're not going to have we did that any of your songs as our theme music. Nor are we going to have the song that was recorded and sent to you as <laughs> our theme music. Do, dear we're not going to have that either. So uh, I'm going to save our audience, small as it may be. I'm going to save. I have our some good audience. songs. From my, I used to be a long-haired hippie songwriter. <laughs> I have no doubt about either of those words, but <laughs> that you used to be, that you had long hair, that you were a hippie, or that you were a songwriter. No doubt. But we're not going to be using one of your songs as the theme music for, awesome. for the state. Until next time, thanks for joining us.